As Ivan Illich came to grips with his mortality, Leo Tolstoy wrote, quote, Chaos is a man. Men are mortal. Therefore, chaos is mortal. Had always seemed to Ivan Illich correct as applied to chaos, but certainly not as applied to himself. That chaos, man in the abstract, was mortal, was perfectly correct. But he was not chaos. Not an abstract man, but a creature quite, quite separate from all others. Close quote. This is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz, Director of Distance Learning at Wyoming Catholic College, and you're listening to the college's weekly podcast, The Afternoon Scholar. As Ivan Ilyich learns, it is not only man in the abstract who dies, but every man and every woman. As the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, reminds us, quote, it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes judgment, close quote. St. Robert Bellarmine had, it seems, a congregation that had, for the most part, forgotten that truth. Their lives were focused on this world. Their concern for death and judgment was weak. Their hearts were cold to the things of God and to their faith. As a good pastor, he knew they needed to be warned and woken up. So Bellarmine preached four sermons on the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. At the 2022 Wyoming School of Catholic Thought, we read and then discussed the first of Bellarmine's sermons, the one on death. Dr. Scott Olson gave us this introduction before we broke up into seminar groups to discuss Bellarmine's words. I want to begin with a humble prayer, which uh, is not obviously about death, but thinking about it this week, maybe it is. Um, that is the angel of God prayer. So, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my side, to light and guard, to rule and guide, amen. And St. Bellarmine, pray for us, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. If it were up to me, St. Robert Bellarmine would be the patron saint of college professors. Based only on his learned reputation, Bellarmine was once assigned to teach the difficult Greek author Demosthenes, although he, quote, knew practically no Greek beyond the alphabet. Those are Bellarmine's words. But how do you teach a challenging Greek author in Greek when you don't know any Greek? He explains in his autobiography, a little aside, his, his autobiography, which he was essentially compelled to write near the end of his life, is available in English now. Um, it's short. It's, it's, a worth, it's worth a read. Um, he was first asked to write it, and he refused, saying, it's completely indecorous for me to you know, write and praise myself. And he was eventually convinced saying, you know, his superiors said that, well, it would be good for the society, he was a Jesuit, if we had some account of your life. And so he said, okay, if you, if you want my life, I'll give it to you. And it's, it's got good parts, bad parts. Um, it's quite approachable. And I think it's a sign of um, his sanctity that uh, he had that self-awareness. And um, there's some 
real uh, humor that comes across, uh, as in this story, which I'll tell you, which I've been telling you about the Greek, but also in several anecdotes throughout his life. He was an incredibly famous preacher. People, thousands of people would would throng to his to his sermons. They would crowd the streets around the church. Um, he tells a story about how on one occasion, he was very short, and uh, on one occasion, um, because, because he was so short, he would, uh, he would go in and he would preach on a, on a tall stool, okay? But on one occasion, he's with a throng of these important people who are racing to uh, get to see the prodigious Italian preacher, you know, the, the famous Italian preacher, and they don't know who they're, that they're actually walking alongside Bellarmine. <laughs> Um, he's rather short, actually. They think he, that he's got this reputation for being this tall, this tall prodigy from Italy. And so the man who's next to him says, oh, uh, excuse me, I, I've, I've got to make sure I get a C. I, I just have to see the preacher, so I'm going to run ahead. And Bellarmine says, okay, uh, you know, uh, do you, should I, I, I'm sorry, I don't think I can save you a seat. And Bellarmine says, uh, don't, don't worry, I'm pretty sure that they'll save me a seat. So I think this, he had that kind of sense of humor. There, there are several accounts where he's playing little jokes on Dominicans, and um, it's funny. But anyways, back to the Greek. Uh, he's being told uh, he has to teach Greek for the first time, and so he says, quote, I told my class that I wanted to begin with the fundamentals. I would teach them grammar first and then go on to Demosthenes. So he was able to stay ahead of his students, and soon, the victim of his great success, it turns out he ended up regularly teaching a range of Greek authors. I'm reminded of once asking Dr. Glenn if he had read such and such a book, and he said to me, read it? I haven't even taught it. <laughs> Which is, anyway, so St. Bellarmine, pray for us. <laughs> Throughout the 1570s, as a newly ordained Jesuit, Father Bellarmine was teaching and preaching at the University of Louvain in Belgium. It was here that he gave his sermons on the four last things. These are death, judgment, hell, and heaven. The first of this series of sermons was on death, which of course we'll be discussing today. At that time, he was preaching to the faculty and students of Louvain in Latin, for the simple reason that Latin was the best way to communicate with his audience. Louvain had students and professors who spoke many languages, but Latin was their one common academic language. And even outside of Belgium, Bellarmine's Latin orations were widely sought after and distributed. He did also preach in the vernacular when not addressing academics. He had the heart of a preacher. But those sermons, which were meant to be more accessible, have not generally been preserved. He didn't anticipate sending them elsewhere, where, after all, people spoke different vernaculars. And so typically, he did not write them out in full. Hence, paradoxically, those, those sermons, which were meant to be the most accessible, have become least accessible to us. Although by the time of his death in 1621, hundreds of Bellarmine's Latin sermons had been published in the original Latin, they were not available in English until very recently. The text in your packet is the first English translation that I'm aware of, of this homily, and it wasn't published until 2017. So about 20 years ago, when I first became aware that these sermons existed, they were completely inaccessible to me. Back then, digital copies of these works were not available online, and if I could have traveled to one of the few libraries containing a copy, 
And if I could have convinced someone to let me handle the delicate pages, I wouldn't have been able to understand the Latin anyway. I was just, I was just making Catholicism my own at that time, and I found this quite a shock. What a sad state, I thought. How could it be that the church had just proclaimed Bellarmine a doctor of the universal church? That was in 1931. And in so doing, had told the faithful that we should listen to what he had to say, and yet the faithful were almost completely incapable of obtaining or understanding anything he said. It is, as Ecclesiastes reminded us, there is no remembrance of former things. This experience quite indirectly led me to Wyoming Catholic College. I fell in love with Latin, understood that it was important for the church to understand her own writings, and wanted to help preserve and foster that understanding. Ecclesiastes warns us that this must be a constant effort because aren't there some things that we must remember? I thought a major theme of our conversation might be remembering. Before we were looking at remembering those who've gone before us, now remembering as a kind of anticipation of our own death. Bellarmine remembers what the church has always believed about our deaths, our judgment, and our final destinations. He wants us to remember. Both the abstract teaching and the concrete application to our lives. The evocative tour he provides through these last things is necessarily vague in the particulars, but the essential contours of the journey are as clear as they are sobering, and yet they are forgotten. Suppose we surveyed Catholics today on the doctrine of purgatory. Wouldn't we be alarmed? But wouldn't we, be, wouldn't we expect even worse if we asked them to explain or to describe the doctrine of our particular judgment? How many Catholics have imagined the just judge or our demonic, our demonic band of accusers? And consider that we will have done very well if we make it to purgatory, but we can all be quite certain that we will face our particular judgment. This is worth remembering and anticipating. Do we remember it? I do not, of course, only mean in some abstract or distant sense. We ought to understand and remember the doctrine, but Bellarmine wants us to remember and anticipate our own death from the stink of our own corpse to our own cowering in judgment. Do we remember that? This is a new kind of work for our conversation. It is not a work of imaginative fiction, but of practical applied theology. We are not communing with the other dead, but challenged to commune with our own future dead selves. Unlike Ecclesiastes, this sermon is not a perplexing work. Bellarmine hopes to make his meaning perfectly clear and perfectly accessible. He is asserting explicitly what we should believe. Of course, that doesn't make this work easy. Bellarmine is asking us to die now, to quote, die frequently in our thoughts, so that when we actually do die, we will experience death well and in a happy manner. It isn't easy for me to carve out a half hour to play with my kids, but to carve out a half hour to die? What will entice me to do that? <laughs> what will entice me to remember my own death? Like the Indian philosophers who placed open sepulchers in front of their houses, I may need some kind of memento mori. The Latin memento mori just means remember dying. It could be taken kind of informally, like be sure to die. <laughs> we often see saints depicted with skulls on their desks for this reason, memento mori. 
The death of Ivan Illich is certainly a profound and obvious memento mori, but isn't Tolstoy teaching us that death is always near, not just in those obvious signs, in the loud wailings of death, but when we at least, when we are least expecting it? Isn't it hanging around us, even in the curtains? Could it be that every good thing is pointing us to our death? Is it good for us because in some sense it is helping us reach our end? That is, should we need skulls on our desks if we could open our eyes to see that the whole material world is pointing us to death? Every material thing is going to fall apart just as the matter in our bodies will one day fall apart. Is that what Ecclesiastes is saying? All are from the dust and all turn to dust again? Let me come at this another way. Bellarmine says, quote, I am convinced that all the errors of men take their beginning from the fact that they forget about the end of life, which they should have constantly before their eyes. To have the end of life constantly before our eyes, are we supposed to always carry about a skull? Or should we instead learn to see death even where it does not first appear to be? Could it even be that what at first appears farthest from death, furthest from death, excuse me, might be the most profound intimation of death. Consider the wedding of Cana. At first glance, perhaps it is only an exuberant celebration of new married life. Christ, Christ takes the jars destined for ritual purification and fills them with the best wine. But isn't there some irony here since we know that the truly best wine is what Christ pours out saved for last at his death for mankind? Maybe even the pens and papers on my desk should remind me of my end, but they don't always communicate that to me, except around grading time, actually. But um, <laughs> perhaps we need something like memento mori training wheels. Is that what the skull is? Is that what the death of Ivan Illich is? And if I need training wheels, why is that? How is it that I filled up my life with so many other distractions, so many poor imitations of true art, that the space for meditation on death seems nowhere to be found? It does seem clear to me there isn't enough great literature in my life. Literature allows us to approach death while we are still far from it. And apart from opening up so many questions within the imaginative works themselves, don't they train us to uncover the deeper significance of what appears to be every day, the deeper significance of my pens and papers, but also of the constitutive elements and events of my own life? So the first goal of the sermon is that we remember, that we anticipate, that we prepare. We will die. A common theme of all these works has been that we are reluctant to remember. Man has evidently always been reluctant to remember. How should we answer Bellarmine's question? How could it ever happen that we would forget such a dreadful reality which we can in no way flee from or avoid? I think that this right, that this, he's right that this forgetfulness is, is demonic, but I don't think we want to leave the explanation there. How has this happened to us in particular, and what are we going to do about it? Notice that Bellarmine is not insisting that we prepare for our death sometimes later. He is telling us to do it now before we have reason to expect that our death is particularly imminent. 
This personal urgency also receives greater emphasis in this work. Ivan Illich, Antigone, Samuel Worsham Beecham were all in one respect extremely fortunate. They each knew they were about to die. Ivan Illich might just as soon have fallen off his ladder and broken his neck and died in an instant. It wouldn't have made a great story. <laughs> but isn't that the way life goes sometimes? Here we're told, if Ivan had fallen to his death, unlike Elpinor, he would have had no one to cry to. As Bellarmine says, we must first consider and ponder that death is accustomed to arrive when men least expect it. Accordingly, the apostle says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So while we must consider our own approaching deaths and are reminded to do so by these stories we've been discussing, we can't presume their character's good fortune. We can't presume so much time for contemplation, reflection, conversion. There is a particular urgency to the memento mori, precisely because death may seem distant. What are we to practically do about this? I might place a skull on my desk, but wouldn't I soon look over it without a moment's attention? The memento mori can't be purely external. Doesn't it need to barge into my life, irritate me, place a demand on me precisely while I want to ignore it? Does this mean that it is especially important that some memento mori be the work of a community because I may need the community to impose a reminder on me? In any case, we must be prepared for our deaths and we can't expect to have ample notice. In a later sermon in the same series, Bellarmine makes this point in his characteristically vivid fashion. If you were invited to a banquet and when you were reclining at the table and you saw many different kinds of food placed before you and a close friend warned you secretly and said that in this abundance of food there is one dish in which there is poison, what would you do? What would you pick up? Which food would you dare to eat? Would you not be suspicious of all of them? So I think that even if you were very hungry, lest you eat the poisoned food, you would abstain from all of it. Now I ask you, how many years do you think you still have to live? You will say perhaps 30 or 40. I will deal with you generously. The Lord can grant you even 60 years. Now, therefore, you know for certain, and you cannot deny it, surely in one of these 60 years, death is waiting for you, and you do not know which year it is. Therefore, why do you not consider all your days to be suspect? Why do you not fear all of them? Why do you not watch in all of them? From so many foods, you do not dare to take even one because your friend who can lie and deceive you warned you about the poison. And you were not afraid and you, not, and you do not watch all the days of your life because God who cannot lie has deigned to warn you that your death lies hidden in one of these days. What, I ask, can you respond to this argument? Isn't that a striking image? Let me suggest a possible direction for your seminar. St. Bellarmine was a masterful preacher. He thought and wrote deeply about preaching and he worked tirelessly to perfect the art. He's not Jonathan Edwards. This is not sinners in the hand of an angry God, I don't think. I think he may be characterized that way sometimes in part because, well, I gave you something pretty close to sinners in the hand of an angry God maybe. Um, but uh, also, it just happens that of the, of the 
very little that had previously been published of Bellarmine. The one thing that you might know of is a sermon he gave called Hell and Its Torments. So that's the way think, people think of Bellarmine, but that's, that's really not him. I don't think, he's not just trying to scare the hell out of us. <laughs> Although he is maybe trying to scare the hell out of us. Uh, I think his, his vision is often much more, pop, much more uh, hopeful and positive. The written record we have of his, uh, his preaching is only imperfect since, of course, much of the art of preaching is the memorization, the gesticulation, the intonation, the, the delivery. But we can see something of the skill in what he had and what, what we have. He wants us to remember. And to this end, throughout his homilies, he used a great many striking images, stories, parables, metaphors. Here's a suggestion. Begin by cataloging the images Bellarmine presents to us. What are they? What do they each signify? How are they placed to advance his argument? I hope that this will anchor your conversation as a way into the structure of his argument and as an aid in remembering it, just as he intended. Thank you. St. Robert Bellarmine assumed that death was a fact, that everyone hearing his sermon would, sooner or later, end up in a coffin and in a grave. But what if it's possible through science, medicine, and bioengineering to stave off death for years, decades, perhaps centuries, or even to eliminate death altogether? Would that be a good thing? The next reading in the 2022 Wyoming School of Catholic Thought was an essay by Dr. Leon Cass that appeared in the May 2001 edition of First Things. The title is L'Chaim and Its Limits, Why Not Immortality? Next week's podcast will feature Dr. Daniel Shields' introduction to that essay as we continue our series on mortality and eternity. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.